Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Is this the zombie? No, he's a one of the spirit hunters. Okay. Because um, you know how I feel about when people fall in love with dead things. No. Okay. No, Daniel's very much alive. Cool. Everyone, welcome to episode You Literally Did Something 174 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm not well prepared to just start an episode anymore, it sounds like. Uh, I'm here with Jill. Jill, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? That was a struggle. Ugh. Gross, Adam. Also, just realized I just like can't record without actually listening. I bet it sounds great. It actually You're listening not... now. I'm, not, I'm listening now. It's not too bad. We're okay. okay. Sounds are the levels are okay. Cool. Um... How you doing? How are things? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I just told you before we started recording, I'm in the early stages of moving, so my life is all bananas right now. It's all exciting, but we're going to buy a place and sell a place, and it's like all over the, the map with my brain. So um, what is today's episode about? Because you did all the stuff. I did. It is historical fiction. Yes. Yay! Uh, Andrea and Christina, who've been on a lot recently... They read Not a lot. Not in a bad way. They read yeah. a lot. And they are both uh, huge historical fiction fans. Um, and so we talked historical fiction. It's a wide range of, you know, there's some World War II historical fiction. Um, we do, I will admit, spend a good 15 minutes talking about the Tudors because we all sort of read yeah. that particular genre uh, of historical fiction. Um, but it's a bit, it's a good mix. Of, of stuff. I think you and I talked about going in that you guys are going to talk about the tutors just because. Yes. If, I mean, if people have listened to the podcast before, they know that you love the tutors. Yes. Yeah. We all we all read it. Yeah. That's okay. It is okay. Right? It is okay. Yeah. We I, try and give a history lesson, which may or may not be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wonders of doing podcasts. I love, I do that all the time too. We're like, I will listen to a podcast. And I will hear someone else do like a historic, like they're just talking about something that happened. And in my mind, I'm like, that didn't happen. No, why? I can't believe you guys didn't look it up ahead of time. And then you start recording an episode here. And, you know, we may say something that's inaccurate. And I'm sure people are doing the same thing to our podcast. So, yeah, we were not prepared. I don't think any of us prepared to actually go into like a deep dive history lesson of mm-hmm. British dynasty families. But it happened. I'm so glad you were doing it. I would have been horrible. I would have been so I, that's just not my cup of tea. Cup of tea. Um, That works out well for the British dynasties thing. No, I get it. British people drink tea. Jill gets it. Um, Yeah, I would have done horrible on that conversation. So, Christina knows a lot about it, though. She's she does pretty pretty good there. Yeah, between the two of us, I think we figured it out. Mm -hmm. So, as of right now, are you reading anything? Historical fictiony? Are you reading something else? I no, I am actually because I talk about it in uh, in the podcast. I'm reading um, the Last Tutor by Philippa Gregory, which nice. is about. Uh, well, I won't. I won't tell you because it's mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. Um. So I we discussed before. I think I already talked about this, but I just finished Meddling Kids this morning. It's I'm not gonna get into it, guy. I listened to the audiobook. It's literally adult Scooby Doo. 
highly recommend it. And now I'm going to start um, Hide and See or Hidden See. We never forget oh, yeah. how to say that. By um, oh, what's his Gregory Maguire. Gregory, Mag- Gregory Maguire. Yeah. The guy who did Wicked um, and several other things. But this one is the kind of backstory of The Nutcracker. Um, my wife and I are going to see the Nutcracker. We got fancy box seats for the first time ever. I've always wanted to do this. <gasps> Always wanted the box seats. Yeah. So and before people hear them, they're like, "Wow, we're, he's got box seats, money." I don't. We found a really cool deal on them. They were like forty-five bucks a ticket. They're not like bananas expensive like I thought they would be. But yeah, we're getting. We get. My wife loves the Nutcracker, so we have like box seats in the middle of December, right before Christmas. So we're gonna go see the Nutcracker and dress up and pretend that we're fancy. Sure. I'm so excited. So because of that, this felt like the perfect book to read before then. So. Um, would you like me to tell people how they can get a hold of us sure. since you it's your episode? Yeah. Okay, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com or you can tweet at us at probooknerds or find us on Instagram at probooknerds. Also, I'm really glad that I just thought of this because I wanted to talk about it on this episode and forgot to talk to you ahead of time. So we're doing this really cool thing with Penguin Publishing. Um, we are recording an episode with the president of Penguin Publishing, where we're going to hand out book recommendations to some of our readers because every holiday season, Penguin does this thing called the Penguin Hotline. So if you're familiar with the Butterball Hotline, which I was like tangentially aware of when they explained it to us via email, the Butterball Hotline is this thing that Butterball, the turkey company, started I think a long, long time ago where like you can call them with food advice during the holidays. So if you're like making a turkey for Thanksgiving... You can call them and say, like, hey, what's the internal temperature have to be? Or, you know, have any questions, they'll answer them in real time. Penguin is kind of doing the same thing. Like, if you call or email their Penguin hotline, they will give you book recommendations during the holiday season, whether it's for you or someone that you're purchasing stuff for during the holidays. Um, And it's – go ahead. They are publisher neutral. Yeah, they're not going to just offer you Penguin – you know, books, which is why we were excited to do this. We didn't just want to be like, well, you guys are just going to use this to pimp out all of your books, which if they do, that's totally fine. But no, it's going to be across a whole bunch of things. So if you're interested in getting some really awesome book recommendations, what you have to do is either email us or tweet at us. Basically, uh, your name, what type of books you like to listen to or listen to or read, uh, what genre you're interested in. And then if the book is for you or if it's for someone else. And if it's for someone else, just give like a very brief description of what that person is. On Twitter, you now have 280 characters, so you should be able to do that pretty well. But yeah, um, we're going to record it at the end of November. So we're going to get as many of them as we can to do. So again, email us, tweet at us, basically the books you like to read, uh, the genres, and who you are. And um, yeah, we'll get some really cool book recommendations. Um, think that's all the information we'll, we'll talk about this a few more times leading up to our interview with them and then the actual episode will come out the beginning of december like i think the first week of december so if you are purchasing these books for the holidays or if you just want to read them for yourself during the crazy holiday season you'll have them for that time i think i got everything on the fly i don't have a computer in front of me so i think that was everything that i think so cool awesome um anything else people should know about I don't think so. I don't think so either. So, okay. All right. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jill and Andrea and Christina again, all about historical fiction on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, 
everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill, and with me today, I have Andrea and Christina. Hello, hi! Hello, hello, hello. Hello! Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Today, we are talking historical fiction. Ah! It's my niche, man. Yeah! Tell me how, tell the audience, uh, Andrea, (laughs) 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 when you went to your Goodreads... (laughs) I had a hundred and five historical fiction novels, <laughs> and I, I didn't think Joe wanted a six-hour podcast with me talking about all of them, so I narrowed it down to twenty. It's good, twenty-ish, twenty-ish. Okay. My problem is, is I don't actually put my books into shelves, besides read or want to read on Goodreads, which I've now realized is problematic because this was difficult to like assemble. <laughs> but um, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to get more organized. I have a lot of books as well. I don't think I have 20. A lot of my books are, like, part of a series. So, you know, that counts as, like, five. But really, it's, like, one, if you think about it. Sort of. One slash five. You could read the first. Like, you're going to – a series is, like, an anthology. Like, you should read the whole thing. It's, like, one one book in parts. Yeah. With the exception of the one I'm going to talk about at the end. You can skip the last book completely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're off to a great start. Okay, so <laughs> so I was like asking this with genre episodes. What is it about historical fiction that you both like so much? I don't know. I think a lot of the, a lot of the ones that I read, as I was assembling this list, I noticed a pattern of women in times where they were just to shut up and look pretty, mm-hmm. and the main character is always this like badass woman who's like, yeah, no. And I I just I think it's really cool to see like these women in these these period types who are just like I'm not doing that because I have a vagina I am doing this because, <laughs> you know and, like <laughs> I, I think it's also it's a time that we can't imagine so we don't get right. hung up on the nuances of if you're reading a book about today and like things happen you're like well that would never that just seems outlandish well, and ridiculous and that was yeah one of my books is I was reading my review and I was like I was so angry reading this book because of the way the women were treated and told how they were to behave that I was like, I just can't imagine basically being bred to get married and have babies and that's it. Yeah. And then, you Pretty know, much like, though. Yeah. And I especially love when it's things that I, I – it's a historical fiction story that I know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And then to have the perspective of something during that time. It almost – and I'll talk about this with some of Philippa Gregory's novels. It's become almost canon in my mind that that's what happened in history, which I need to stop doing. You need to stop <laughs> doing Because that. it's historical fiction and it's not <laughs> fact. But I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You know, Elizabeth Woodwell, she didn't like that, like, as if I knew her. <laughs> so, anyway. But I, I enjoy – I enjoy I, you know, and anytime you're reading a book, you, you want to feel smarter. And I do feel like historical fiction just edges it out a little bit. makes you – Learn well, because on some level, the author does research. Yeah. Um, like, and I have, I've read historical novels where at the end, they're like, here's the true facts. Here's where I took a little bit of liberty, but I wasn't far off from what actually happened at this time in this place. And ultimately, in any of the historical fiction where the, it's wars or kings and queens, like, I ultimately do look it up. Like, I do oh, become interested right. in Yeah, it takes story. me forever to read books because I'm like Wait, Googling who? and Wikipedia. What, and I always people. want to know what they look like, which is always unsettling because the paintings from back then never really paints anyone. Yeah, they're like always like, really... this person was gorgeous. And I look at the picture and You're I'm like, like oh. <laughs> Were they about perspective. I mean, it's no true. one looks good with a doily on their head. That is true. That's fair. Well, that was the whole thing with Anne Cleves, you know. <laughs> Henry's Henry's wife. 
got off, is that the one that got off the boat and he was like, ugh, pretty yeah. much, yeah, uh, divorce. She, yeah, she was. The, she, but they she, remained she, really good friends. They did remain very good friends. Yeah. He referred to her as his sister, sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she was really close to his daughters and. Just like a cute little like failed <laughs> failed like, marriage turned honestly, into like best of friends. All of his six wives, she was the lucky one. She yeah. made out the best. You were you know <laughs> he put that her up he put her up in Hero Castle and she was like That's fine. Don't Sorry you're ugly. She made out the castle. Best. <laughs> yeah. But on the plus side, you don't die in childbirth, you didn't get your head chopped yeah. off. So I mean yeah. bonus points for you. Yeah, that she got lucky. So um all right, who wants to start with a book series or book? Or whatever. I will start. So she was, this is author, was the first author that popped in my head when you mentioned historical fiction. She is Sharon Biggs Waller. And she has written two historical fiction novels, and a third one is coming out next year. Um, The first one I read, though, was A Mad Wicked Folly. Takes place in London, 1909, where, much like I was mentioning, Victoria is from a wealthy family and was bred or brought up to marry and have babies, and she decides that's not enough for her. So she is taking this secret art class with a bunch of boys and poses nude and then gets kicked out of her French boarding school. (laughs) So her parents are like, well, we are going to marry you off to Edmund Carrick Humphrey. But she wants to be an artist. She gets involved in the suffragette movement, and she starts to fall in love with this working-class boy named Will. So it's about her kind of like, do I follow my dreams or do I follow what society expects of me? And she is awesome. I loved her character. She could tell that she wasn't, she was very torn between her two paths in life and what to do. And I think she would have been awesome friends with Elodie from The Forbidden Orchard by Sharon. Um, if their stories hadn't been 48 years apart, they would have been besties. Because <laughs> um, Elodie is one of 10 sisters. Her father is a merchant, and he basically comes home to impregnate his wife and then pieces out. Hence, the 10 children. <laughs> um, and then he, so he's supposed to get this very ex- rare and valuable orchid, and he doesn't. So he's faced with being thrown in debtor's prison and his kids and wife going to working houses and orphanages so Lodi's like yeah no so she convinces her father to return to China to find this orchid and stows away on the boat and then dresses as a man and helps her father and this Russian who's so adorable named Alex find this orchid and save her family I mean, I've seen a theme with these books that involved women pretending to. Yeah, I just was gonna say I was like pretty much you just gotta dress up as a man just which makes me man. think like I mean if I dress up with, as a dude I feel like no one would be fooled. Maybe they would be fooled. I mean, it depends on what side of my body they're looking at. So. Um, oh, that's funny. I am going to start with The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which was one of the best books I read, I think, this year. I have it as one of the greatest books I've ever read, actually. Um, I had seen this pop up on a couple of recommendations, and for some reason I kept skipping it because I think I had I had read Kristen Hanna books before, and she does a very good job, but, like, they're more on the uh, mysterious suspense soapy romance category. So I wasn't sure I wanted to read a historical fiction story by her, and I, sh- I was stupid. I should have just ignored that <laughs> because it was so, so wonderful. Um it's the story of sisters, Isabel and Vivian, and Vianne, during um, World War II. 
and what happens in France at that time and how their families are broken. And France was occupied um, during World War II. So, like, the Germans were everywhere. They were infiltrating their homes. Vienne actually houses a German soldier. And uh, Isabel, uh, very, like, headstrong and defiant, decides she needs to help. And, of course, there is romance along the way. Isabel ends up meeting a man as they are fleeing. And they have this, like, you know, crazy romance. And it's really well done. Um, And Vianne's husband has been called away to fight. And then he basically has not seen the remaining years of the war. And you're not quite sure what has happened to him. But the the true power of this story is the relationship between the sisters, which has always been combative. Um, but it's how you find out who you are in war. And I I think the theme of the story, you know, in love we find out who we want to be and in war we find out who we are. So that was across all the reviews and across the top part, like the actually opening of the book. So I, I thought the whole story was going to be this romance, this love story. And... While I appreciate the power of that statement and how it implies to the entirety of the story, I think the true love of the story is between the two sisters um, and what they do to essentially stay alive and protect each other throughout the story is really magical. It's very, it's a hard book to read. It's very heartbreaking, but it's also about war. So it's the nature of war. Like loss is just prevalent. Um, And a lot of people try to like compare this to all the light we cannot see which i understand it's both about world war ii and differing perspectives and you get you know both sides of it but you can't compare a book like this to all the light we cannot see they're both wonderful they just they take their story their stories are told so differently and all the light we cannot see works for a number of reasons the nightingale works for a number of reasons read them both but don't try and compare them i don't like when people do that because i think it, it, it it limits both like you're not you're not seeing why one's better than the other. So, talking about the the sisters and and war that reminds me of Atonement. Yes, I have that on my list. It's good. It's a good one. Um, it was a movie that came out a couple years ago, but um, James McAvoy. Yeah. Oh, that was when I discovered oh, yeah. James McAvoy. Yeah. <laughs> that one. That one. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it too. Yes, but not as a. Nice that was, like, my first experience with Benedict Cumberbatch, too. And I was like, that guy's a, a dick. Yeah, he was. I didn't was, realize he was. It's been a while since I've seen it. I didn't yeah, realize he was in it. It's him. It's um, that, I don't want to say the bad guy, but. He's definitely a bad guy. I mean, but he's not, like, you know, the main bad guy kind of thing. No, he's just kind of a. He's in the beginning. and it's, Yeah. He's more. Anyway. Spoilers. Now I, okay. Now I know who it is. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so it's this, you know, girl, teenager, young teenager, um, in England, um, she wants to be a writer, and she has an older sister, and um, there's a whole misunderstanding. It's probably the best way to... Yeah. The greatest misunderstanding <laughs> ever in the history of misunderstandings. <laughs> there's a misunderstanding, <laughs> to put it that way, um, and the it sort of changes the relationship between these two sisters, and... Drastically. Um, drastically. And Bryony. Yeah, Bryony and and uh, Cecilia is the older sister. And then there is a... Um, hottie. <laughs> that's not the word I was going to use. But sure, there is a hottie. Named Robbie. <laughs> it's a James McAvoy. Hottie Robbie. As James, as played by James McAvoy. In the- Correct. And he goes off to war and it's a... Uh, it's just, I, I think the the sort of perspectives 
you get and and how war and how these sister relationships play out and then of course the end is just heartbreaking and oh my yes. god the end yes. oh. well because it's like a story within a story kind of because you think it's going to go one way and then it's it a lot of historical fiction is very sad because i think when you're using history there's the whole element of it's times of war lend themselves to really good stories like atonement like the nightingale but there's the whole aspect of war is loss. So right. a lot of the times these stories are built on loss or pain or suffering. So, like, you can't go into it being like, I want to read a happy historical fiction story. <laughs> well, I don't even – well, I mean, that's part of it. But if you consider historical fiction that doesn't take place around war, I think it's just you go for that drama, essentially. Yeah. You know? Like, you're not going to read a story where it's like, and they lived happily – well, I guess that happens. But it's like you don't go into it thinking like i don't i want to these are stories that are going to make you think regardless of right whatever the subject matter happens to be right i mean you know in historical romance there's a lot of the and they live happily ever after so right. if you want the lighthearted story but then ultimately you're like but then died because <laughs> this is historical fiction this was years ago <laughs> everybody dies eventually they're all dead sure <laughs> everyone is dead well, all your is, faves this is fun <laughs> This is super uplifting for a Monday morning. Everybody dies. Everyone dies in historical fiction just by the nature of it being historical fiction. <laughs> the White Queen, dead. The Red Queen, dead. They're also all dead. dead. If she hadn't died during the story, she was going to die eventually anyway. Probably at like 37 in childbirth. And here we go. 30, I figured you'd be dead by 37. Yeah, seriously. That seems old. <laughs> I was just, no, for the fact the white princess died in childbirth at yeah, 37. So. Anyway, you guys Oh are my god, wait. spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Again! Well, see, like, that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> what's the statute of limitations on historical fiction spoiler alerts? I read this uh, Tumblr post, somebody who was, they were like, I was at Hamilton over the weekend, and when Aaron Burr says, and I'm the, you know, the, oh my god, I can't remember the line, and I'm the damn fool that shot him, and the, she's like, the person next to me went, <gasps> and I'm like, this is history. Like, yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> or it's like I, anything. It, my husband hates spoilers in general. So, like, we'll be watching a show and, and it'll be historical fiction. He'll be like, and I'm like, do you know? And he'll be like, don't tell me anything. And I'm like, but it's I, it's not a spoiler. It's just it's the fact. That this, this is, this is, is history. This it's is happened. history. Okay, whatever. So, yeah, anyway. What were you going to talk about? You know, just a book. Oh, you, you, want to, you want me to divert back to were books? Were you talking about one just now? I was talking about Hamilton. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No. That's not what I meant. He dies. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Also dies. <laughs> oh, you too. <laughs> um, all right. So my next is a three book. Well, three and a half if you count the prequel novella. Um, it's called, and I've been trying to get Christina to read this forever. I even gave her two of the books and she still won't read it. Because she hates me. That's it. Um, It's the Something Strange and Deadly series by Susan Dennard. And it's a little bit of a paranormal historical fiction. So the dead are rising, but it's not like The Walking Dead or Shaun of the Dead kind of zombies. Like, these are like zombies controlled by somebody. Um, And they come out. So people go live their lives and they're like, oh, the dead are rising. And then they hide and the dead go away and they come back out with their lives. Um, So... She's having a rough time, 
Her dad has died a while ago. Her brother's gone missing, and her mother is determined to marry her off to any rich young man who walks by. Um, so she is at the train station, I believe, and a zombie delivers her a letter from her brother, and her brother's been taken. And so she goes to find the spirit hunters, who are known paranormal fighters, and she demands that they help her find her brother, and she kind of infiltrates into their three-person group and helps them fight these undead and take care of things. And they have one of my favorite lines. Um, so she's talking to Daniel. Love you, love you, Daniel. So she's demanding that, you know, she help them and she can, you know, you know, work with them and to find her brother and to help them fight these zombies. And he says, Misfit, you know curiosity gets men killed. And she responds with, then I dare say it's good I'm a woman. Oh, uh- that's a good one. And that's, like, her personality, kind of the whole thing. She, like, refuses to let her mother dictate her life. She's going to help find her brother. She's not going to sit at home and wait for these people to do it. She's like, I'm going to go out there and do it myself. I do like quotes like that when they're like, oh, this gets men killed. and It's in Game of Thrones, too. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm a woman, so. Right. But, yeah, so she is, it's a very good, it's three books. Um, the second book takes place in Paris. The third book takes place in Egypt. But it's highly, one of my favorite series. And I don't, you you said you've tried to got me, get me to read this. I don't remember this. gave you two of the books because I had duplicates. Do I still have them? Yeah, they're in your drawer of books oh, here. Oh, that's why because I, for, I put them in there and forget about them forever. I have a drawer of books that is just massive. We all <laughs> have drawers of books. I will I will read that. That sounds very good. No, I love it. Okay. I invited Susan to my wedding because I love the series so much. Oh, yeah. She responded? She didn't, she didn't come. come. Oh. But she, you know, wrote me back and... I don't like to think of a time in your life when I wasn't part of it, so. Oh, wedding. I was. (laughs) You got to shut up. (laughs) Uh, Jill. (laughs) Well, okay, so on similar of with, like, supernatural historical romance or historical fiction, not not a romance, um, I have uh, uh, The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. Um, It actually doesn't come out until March, I believe, but I I read an advanced copy. Oh, and it's dark. It's one that um, has, there's two stories, both historical. One is set in sort of the 19th century and one is set in uh, the 17th century. And it's about a woman who, um, she is a young widow and uh, after her husband dies, she, um, in the 19th century, um, has to go live in his ancestral home, which is very neglected. (laughs) And she doesn't really (laughs) want to be there. Because it's all kind of like creepy and ghosts. Yeah, it's a little haunted. And um, there, uh, when she's trying to sort of like going walking around, trying to sort of understand where everything is, she comes upon an attic um, that was locked. Probably should have kept it that way, or at least not gone up when the door <laughs> magically is unlocked. Oh, so she got- talked about this. <laughs> Strange closets in your home should stay locked. Somehow it magically is unlocked. So she goes upstairs and she finds these wooden structure. These like wooden, um, I don't know how to describe them. They're in contemporary terms, you know, like those like standing cutout figures of movie stars or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. cardboard or so. Like imagine those, but they're wood, okay. and they're these standing cutout figures um, of people. Um, and 
they're a little weird. They're a little weird. And they start like magically popping up in different parts of the houses and no one moved them. So there's that going on. And then you sh- up in the attic also is, an, is a diary of um, the woman who had one of her um, husband's ancestors who had first bought these wooden cutout figures um, back in the 17th century. And, and so you're reading this diary of these figures and like how they she bought them and they start doing weird things and weird things start happening so there's just like a lot of weird stuff going on um but it was really good and you just sort of envision these bizarre figures just kind of showing up around corners and that would already i like got like (laughs) nobody has like nobody claims to have moved them you know they're just like oh it just showed up i would have moved just like, move to leave. There's weird figures that's in the attic. Part it's haunted. That why are you there? Uh, well, yeah, that's well. Yeah. As we talked about in our horror podcast, <laughs> all these people could have like solved all their problems if they would have just been like, "Well, all right, pack your bags, kids. <laughs> House is clearly haunted." Yep. Um, it wouldn't be a historical fiction podcast if I did not mention Outlander, obviously, by Diana Galvedon, who I follow on Twitter she'd like to retweet a couple of the things i've said about outlander that would be cool um so (laughs) i read outlander i actually did what i don't recommend people doing i watched the show and then read the book not for any other reason than i was like oh i wonder how much i'm missing because i love the show like how much is in the book that i'm not seeing what's so great about the show is like especially the first season they really nail the book like there wasn't much that wasn't in the show that i felt you think it's funny you said nail in terms of Outlander and it's it's not just about sex Andrea <laughs> it is a very female driven show alright do they nail it they do, they do very successfully but um, so the story is about Claire Randall a 1945 woman who was a combat nurse in World War II she's home for the first time in seven years And she and her husband, Frank, are on a second honeymoon because they've spent a lot of their marriage apart. Um, And they are in Scotland, and they take a tour of the countryside. Frank is a historian, so he's, like, you know, checking out all the historical things. (laughs) Sorry. Right out of what I was going to say. And Claire decides to go to Craignadoon, which is the Standing Stones. And this is actually based in true Scottish lore, that woman would fall through the stones and fall into like fall through time. Craignadoon is not a real place. I know because I went to Ireland and I wanted to see how close I was to it, and then just found out it was not a real place. Okay, so falls almost through, canceled her trip because of it. Yeah, I was like, we can't go to Ireland anymore. What's the point? Um, she falls through the stones into the year of our Lord, seventeen forty-three, which, if you didn't know, and no shame if you didn't, was right around the Jacobite uprising, which if you didn't know, it goes very terribly. Almost all of the clans are wiped out completely. It's horrible. Lots of history lost. And Britain essentially takes over. And anyone who didn't die in the Battle of Culloden, they kill. So Claire knows this. In 1743, you know, she is a woman alone. She has a strange history. She can't really say she's from 1945, but she has a strange amount of knowledge because she's a combat nurse. So she has to sort of protect herself. And in in doing this, the clan kind of embraces her because she's somehow managed to um, garner the suspicion of an English soldier, Captain Blackjack Randall. He's sadistic and mean and happens to look just like her old husband, Frank, which adds a whole other layer of weirdness. So the clan, to protect her, marries her off to James Frazier, Jamie Frazier, 
who is a young Scotsman, a hunk of just meat, but also just beautiful and lovely. And of course, like she's torn because while she um, is attracted to him and sees all the goodness of him, she's also bound by fidelity. She's married and she has a good marriage with Frank. So it's this whole story of her basically trying to reconcile her two lives. And, of course, the the story itself, Outlander, is part of a huge series. I don't even know how many books there are, but... It's a lot. There's a lot. And they're long. She's still writing. Yeah. So the story is still continuing. And it spans years and years and years. So not enough I can't say about it. I mean, it gets this reputation because of the TV show that it's some, like, super soapy sexual show. And really it's not. Like, it's not, like, at that at all. Like, obviously there are scenes, but there are a lot of time in between these, like, super romantic scenes. I know about it because my best friend Alex and I watch it and we're like, <laughs> do you think they're going to do it in this episode? <laughs> and they don't. So, I mean, it's not just about that. It's, uh, like, it's it, it's very female-driven, which I do appreciate. I think that's why people talk about the sex scenes in that show a lot is because it is... Female driven. Female driven. Yeah, it's it's everything, like how she feels and the, and how she would. And Reese Witherspoon just gave this speech. Well, actually, she gave it in 2015, but it's circulating again. She said, in a lot of movies and stories and TV shows, a man looks to a woman and, or a woman looks to a man and says, what are we going to do now? And in any crisis situation, no woman ever says, what are we going to do now? We move to action. It's the like. In a situation of, like, man, women, and children, the children are supposed to look to the women because they know what they're doing, whereas men are like, ah! It's because I think... Well, it's like the way they tell little kids, if you're lost, find a mom. Yeah, because we know what's up. We know what to do in a crisis situation. We have an instinctual code that's like, I don't know, protect. Right. So, this story, this Outlander story, what's so great is it's driven by Claire's instinct and skill and intelligence and all this stuff, and the men are just like, they look to her as, like, a figure of importance. She becomes a surgeon, ultimately. Anyway, very good, very female-driven book, very female-driven show. Um, just can't say enough about it. And he's hot. If you're there for that, he's good-looking. So go ahead. That always helps. It doesn't hurt that he is not ugly. No Anna Cleves insight. <laughs> Poor Anne. Poor sweet Anne. Well, we could talk. I mean, I know we all read... Tudor historical fiction. Mm-hmm. We gotta. We could talk about that. I have a several books that I have the all the the Plagenerate Tudor dynasty books on my list. Yeah, I've done the um I know I've talked about it before, the Six Tudor Queens by Alison Weir. Very good. Um Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn are already out. Jane Seymour comes out in May. Um, but she being a historian, she does they are very much seeped in history. Um, there is a lot of truth. She does, of course, take liberties because it's still historical fiction. But you can tell she knows what she's talking about. She she didn't watch the Tudors. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I can write. I can do this, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so easy. Right. Um, so, like, Anne, Anne's novel is all about how she doesn't really want to marry Henry, but she's kind of forced into it by her, by her family. And that's not really what she wanted in life. But she doesn't really have a choice because her dad and her uncle said so. And Henry's obsessed with her, so she's... You know, yeah, that, that kind of, that yeah. whole, whole new perspective on her life. And, of course, you know, each woman is the heroine of her own story. So in Catherine of Aragon, Anne looks like this, you know, bratty woman who's coming into her marriage. But in Anna Boleyn, she's just very, like, innocent and meek and mild and a um, something of her circumstances. 
Victim. Thank you. Victim of her circumstances. So they're very good. She's doing like one a year. So I'm, I'm very excited for, for Jane to come out because that was the one that Henry seemed to have loved the most. Yeah, he's buried he next to her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He called her like her only her only true queen and his true wife. Yeah, well, she gave probably him because son. the boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's 100% why. And I always managed to die in childbirth. Oh, yeah, I'm always like, very curious like I would would like to have known how history would have been different had she not died like 2 weeks or something after Jane giving birth. Seymour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, sure. I, I mean that makes it easy. She yeah. gives you a boy and then she dies. Like right. so <laughs> to, like remember her fondly. Like right. oh yeah, right. that one. Right. Um I have the White Queen by Philippa Gregory, which is part of the um, Plagenerate Tudor Dynasty novels by Philippa Gregory. Um, the I think the one that starts this series is The Rivers, The Lady of the Rivers, which is about Jaquetta, who is Elizabeth's mother. So they are a affluent family, but not royalty. And Elizabeth and the White Queen, Elizabeth Woodville, um, was married, had two sons, and then her husband died in the Battle of York versus... The other one. The Battle of, like, the Rose. Like, oh, the War of the Roses? No, it was before that. Well, it's, like, the battle between York and... Uh, he dies. Whatever. Her husband dies. <laughs> her husband dies fighting York forces. So okay. her husband was an enemy of York. She meets, in passing, the King of York, Edward. Edward of York. And, of course, like, she's... In history, as is lauded as being this very beautiful woman, and he sees her, and of course, like, just falls in love on the spot. Uh, and he's love. quite the womanizer in history as well. So anyway, she denies him enough times that he essentially woos her into marriage. Like she's like, "I will not give myself to you," um, and so he he marries her in secret, marries someone who is an enemy of the crown, and of course, England's all like, "Well." The court, of course, is against it, whereas she is, like, the hero of the peasants because Henry has essentially married one of their own. Or Henry. It's Henry, not Edward. Henry of York. Thank you. Edward is her son. Okay. God. Okay. So, anyway. So, they get married. They have a bucket of kids. Like, she's probably, like, the most fertile woman Ever. She has, I don't even know how many kids she has. Like, it's in history, I don't even she know. keeps popping them out. Keeps popping them out. Eventually, there's a lot of girls. And then she manages to have two sons um, with Henry, and they become the lost princes in the Tower of London. Aw. So oh, that's how right. that Woodville story gets started. And then Elizabeth. No, you're right. She's married to Edward. Who's Henry? Do they have a son named Henry? Henry VIII? No. Eventually Henry comes yeah, in. Yeah, eventually Henry comes in. <laughs> But there was, I thought that, okay, anyway, so Elizabeth marries Edward, they have a bunch of kids, one of their daughters, also named Elizabeth, is the one who marries Edmund Tudor, and then Elizabeth and Edmund have King Henry VIII. That is their son. So uh, That is correct. They start the Tudor dynasty. But it starts with the Woodville, Elizabeth of Woodville and her family when York was in power, and then there's the introduction of... Um, the Red Queen, um, oh wait, no, she was married to Edmund Tudor, and they had Henry Tudor. Right? Wait, hold on, there's so, why yeah, are, I, like, so many people in England are all named the same thing? I'm pretty so pretty sure, really, that's I'm, how that works. I'm pretty sure Henry VIII's mother was Elizabeth. 
No. It, well, yeah, Elizabeth of York was Henry well, I don't know if it was Elizabeth of York, no, but I know it was Elizabeth of York. Was. Was Elizabeth York's Henry VIII's mom. The Red Queen is Mary, who was married to Edmund Tudor, but then got, like, widowed super young when she was, like, still a very young teenager, but um, has Henry Tudor, and that family, he was, like, the last remaining remnants of the Tudor dynasty, and so she, being very ambitious, basically plays the court to get Henry Tudor into the line of the throne, even at one point, I think, building an alliance with Elizabeth Elizabeth of Woodville, even though they kind of hated each other initially because they were warring families. Mm -hmm. In the Red Queen, it's like her rise to power and her, like, thirst for glory. (laughs) She ends up infiltrating the court. She serves as a lady uh, to Elizabeth Woodville and kind of plays both sides, like, you know, reporting rumors to Elizabeth, but also reporting rumors to the other side, ultimately gets her son on the throne. And then her son, Henry Tudor, marries uh, the White Princess, another book by Philippa Gregory, Elizabeth of York. They don't like each other. In fact, Elizabeth of York is rumor, was always rumored to be in love with her uncle, Richard III. Oh, royal oh, family's good old Richard III. Which is her uncle and much older than her. And, like, there's all these rumors that they slept together. The book yeah. takes that story. And okay, I true. finally get the color coding now. Because, so the White Queen is the Yorks. The Red Queen is the Rose. Is, well, the, okay, wait. We're going to be honest one. The okay. White Queen... So, like, right, the War of the Roses, it was the White Rose was the Yorks, the Red Queen was the Lancasters. Those two families at some point came together, and that's where the Tudor Rose comes from, which is red and white. Yes. Now all of a sudden it makes sense. Yes. So the War of the Roses, thank you, was... The Yorks and the Lancasters. Lancasters. And this, these three women, the Elizabeth Woodville, Mary Mary of Tudor, and then ultimately... Elizabeth of York and Henry Tudor bring about the Tudor dynasty, King Henry Correct. VIII. Right. And, and that's, that's, yeah. And that's why the Tudor rose is red and white is because of all that Yes, all stuff. the history and bloodshed. And, like, it's so weird how much happens in these three stories themselves because, like, you have Elizabeth Woodville who is completely against, is completely against Edward's brothers, but then ultimately her daughter ends up falling in love with one of his brothers later on then marries her enemy, and then has... It's... The whole nuances of this whole... It's it's based in truth. Like, the actual... The history of the War of the Roses is crazy enough on its own, but it makes the best kind of stories. Anyway, very complicated. Philippa Gregory does a really (laughs) wonderful job breaking it all down. The whole series... I forget how many books are in the Plangenerate and Tudor Dynasty novels. I want to say six. And it's all driven by these women. So the women are the stars of the story. And like Andrea said in her example, they're the, the heroines of their own story. So it's interesting to read the White Queen and then read the Red Queen who hated Elizabeth right. of Woodville. I always have a soft spot, though, for Elizabeth of Woodville and Edward because they're rumored to be one of the few unions in the whole dynasty in the monarchy early on that was true love. So I always like that story. That's a good one. Uh, speaking of Philippa Gregory, I'm reading currently reading The Last Tudor one that just came out um back in august and it is about um so uh after henry dies he has his son edward who um jane seymour's mom was his mom Mm -hmm. um edward is very sickly and is not going to last (laughs) um 15 or 16 yeah yeah and so um 
everything is up and is in upheaval with regard to his heir and the Tudor line because uh, you know we're going through the Reformation and um, religion is a big deal and so technically speaking the next in line should be his older sister Mary who is daughter of Catherine of Aragon only Mary's a Catholic and um, Henry had basically disowned her um, and then after that is Elizabeth who because of Anne Boleyn was her mom and um, she was basically disowned as well and so <laughs> it's like a whole thing trying to figure out who's gonna end up in power after um, Edward dies because he's going to die so he they go like over to cause like his, uh, Henry's sister has a daughter um, but her her daughter Jane Grey, um, they're all named the same freaking thing. I know, I know. <laughs> it's rotated. very complicated. Anyway, so there's like you can go find family trees. You almost have all, to. You have to to kind it. of pay. Right. And a lot of the books will include family trees in the books. Unless you're a crazy person like me, and you pretty much have it. Oh well, no, I have it told. I know, yes, that's why I'm like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just, <laughs> Trying to explain it to somebody else <laughs> without visual aids. Um, so anyway, so uh, after Edward dies, his essentially kind of like cousin Jane Grey ends up um, being named queen. And she has two sisters, Catherine and Mary, who are younger than her. And they all kind of are married off in, in one go. Um, only Jane is known in history as the nine-day queen because as soon as she is named queen, <laughs> things get a little cray-cray. And um, Mary, Mary's not having it. And Mary is not. Mary is not having it. Mary was called Bloody Mary for a reason. She was called Bloody Mary. Yeah, Mary the Catholic is not having anything with this Protestant cousin thing. Yeah, she's like, yeah, no, 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 no. And so Mary comes back to claim her crown, and uh, Jane does not end well for Jane. Poor so, Jane. <laughs> she was very I mean, young, too. She yeah. Was, like, yeah, she was they were all very... teenagers, yeah. Um, so the last tutor is is split into three um, sections. The first one is Jane Grey's story, and then it switches to her sister, Catherine, and then the finally is um, the third sister, Mary. So I, I know a lot about Jane Grey. Allison Weir actually wrote um, a novel, a historical fiction novel about her whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but I don't really know a lot about her sisters, Catherine and Mary, so I'm kind of excited to see where Yeah, because there's, there's so many players in that whole history of the throne, and it's... I almost wonder if Jane was like, I, I don't want that. Like, well, I, like I don't think she like, really I did. I really but want she, it because I'm going to get killed. Right. Yeah, well, no, I don't think she did because she... Um, because it was just the way it came about was so bizarre. Just, you know... It, technically, it should have been her mom, but her mom um, w- was willing to give it up to put her daughter on the throne. Way to go, mom. Well, I think, it, you know, it's that, it comes back to the whole religion thing. Like, they did not, like, at that time, because Henry kept going back and forth, depending on which wife he was married to. Um, so, when Edward died, Edward was a Protestant, and they wanted, they did not want a Catholic back on the throne, which would be Mary. Um, and Jane was very well educated in um, the Protestant religion. She was known to write letters with various 
scholars. Um, she, yeah, she was just very well educated and very learned. And so she was who they wanted to put on the throne. Um, and I think also because she was young enough that she could, like, if she got married, she could then produce a son. Right. To right. To keep the line going. Like, that was what it was about. ultimately going for. Like, who can we put on the throne right. that'll give us like, a her bunch mom, of kids? Like, bunch yeah. of boys. Right. Her mom, you know, was older. Um, not that old, of course, in Tudor time. But, like, <laughs> like <laughs> same spread, like, 24. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But uh, Jane was young enough and, like, that they could, like, that was the whole thing, was to get her married get her pregnant and like on the throne so that they can keep the line going but yeah mary is just like no that's not that's not happening storm and rolled in storm she did yep. she storm rolled in and and took her uh her place and then that was a whole thing too there's a whole story there about how the li- <laughs> eventually elizabeth won eventually elizabeth won yes. gets on the throne and, and then she, she is- had but then she had no heirs and so she passes it off to her uh nep- cousin I think james yeah. And then that's the family that is in the- I don't think he's a Windsor. Um no, he was um But they trace well, he, back to the Windsor. They do. You can trace it back somehow. Um James was the son of I believe Mary Queen of Scots, who was a cousin because yeah, Henry's right. Henry's sister was married off to the Scots. Yes. And then it was Mary Queen of Scots was Elizabeth's cousin and then um, her son. So that's how England and Scotland became combined was by passing it on to James. And anyone listening who's turning in for like true history facts, <laughs> not the podcast for that. I know. We're kind of just kind of <laughs> guessing. Everyone's naming the same thing. But anyway... I'm I'm sure we will get emails with corrections. Yeah, from yeah. It. Basically, the monarchy's cray cray. <laughs> yes, and has a lot of great stories: romance, suspense, murder, murder, beheadings, murder. probably a couple hauntings. The princes of London are rumored to haunt the tower. That is true. That's okay. where they die. There's a lot of people haunting the tower. Let's be real. <laughs> well, I yeah, am so mad. When I was in England a couple years ago, we did not have time to go to the tower. I've oh. never been. Like I saw it from across the river, but. <laughs> I was like, they made us go when I was in college. That we didn't. I went to England for uh, for school and college, and we got off the plane and took a bus to the Tower of London because they didn't want us to go back to our hotel to fall asleep. Sure, sure. So like, I was like bleary eyed, like just staring around this like <laughs> Tower of Tor- like where the torture and stuff occurred, and I was it was cool. I stayed awake. I did go to Hampton Court though, which was uh, known as um, mostly Anne Boleyn was known to be there when she was married to Henry. But there's, like, this big – I mean, speaking of Jane Seymour and the wife, um, there's a big painting of um, Henry and Edward, his son, and Jane Seymour um, as his wife that was painted after Jane had died and, like, Henry was on his sixth wife. But his sixth wife, Catherine Parr, sort of knowing that he – Supposedly loved Jane the most. Had this like painting commission. Also, where... it was probably like he's known to kill. Well, that too. People. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and we're right. gonna make him a painting. Because <laughs> uh... look at you and your favorite wife. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, pretty much. Please, Please don't, don't kill, kill me. me. Please. <laughs> uh, look at this lovely gift I had commissioned for yeah. you. Yeah. Also, should we maybe talk about books? 
because all we've done is basically <laughs> gone over the history of England. But we were talking about books when yes. we were doing if it. If you want to get sort of like a piecemeal history of England, we got you. We got you covered. <laughs> but yes. I, I have one. Okay. It is the Scarlet series by A.C. Goggin, Woo! which is historical fiction, but it's historical fiction about Robin Hood and Nottingham and, like, the time of history. So it's it, Robin Hood wasn't real, right? I think it's kind of like Arthur. So it's like he could have been. You, you could argue that at some point off, he was, he's based off somebody who existed, but maybe, you know, the whole because it's legend isn't true but the king is richard king richard yes. is like the beloved king okay so yeah there was a king richard and there was a prince john we're gonna do it again we're gonna do it again Sorry. we're gonna get off the track okay eleanor back um <laughs> the series is scarlet lady thief and lionheart and it's the story of robin hood from the perspective of a girl who is in his band band of merry men um she is marauding as a boy as you as you'll find in a lot of historical fiction stories yes. And she also happens to be quite beautiful, so I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, so it's... A lot of mud. A lot of dirt. <laughs> Apparently, if we cover ourselves in dirt, we look... You know, that's all... That's the trick. Put our hair under our hat. Yeah. Arch, you would never be able to disguise yourself as a boy now. We're very into our eyebrows. The, yes, we are. No one would, no one would be fooled. <laughs> um, so anyway, so she is basically along for the ride in the story of Robin Hood's there. He steals from the rich and gives to the poor, and he de- defends Nottinghamshire. Um, and... Looming overhead is uh, Prince John, who is this, like, s- snake of a man who hates Robin Hood, ultimately ends up hating Scarlet as well. And in the th- a sadistic version of Prince John. Yeah. Like, he's, like... <laughs> he's evil AF, yeah, if you he's, will. He's not, like, you know, like, oh, I'm Prince John and I just want to throw him. He's like, no, I will murder yeah, everybody. Yeah, so, like, so she ends up basically making him hate her. Right. So in the three series, it's her sort of defending Nottingham... And there's obviously there's this like love between her and Robin. And it's such a slow burn. Slow burn love story. Like I'm just like, would you just smush your faces just together? Kiss, or just, just kiss. Just kiss. Just kiss. And then um, there is obviously looming the the battle between King Richard and Prince John as Prince John is gunning for his throne. And then there's this whole wonderful thing that throughout the story, there's a secret that not even Scarlet knows about herself. And once you determine what that is, and she has she some... She does an excellent way of interweaving aspects of the Robin Hood legend. And what really happened. And what really happened, but also in making it her own kind of story. Yes. And so almost to a point where she, she ties it back to true historical legend and fact and makes it almost like this really happened. And right. this wonderful girl lived and she ends up being just like a total badass and... Everybody gets theirs in the end, and it's really good, and I really liked it. And like Andrea said, the the romance is not the main part of the story. It's just there in the background, and it's a really good slow burn. Like, it's a really good development of their characters and how they ultimately get together, and I I loved it. Sounds good. Very good. Um, I'm going to throw it back (laughs) to my very first historical fiction. So when Titanic came out, in 1997, I became obsessive about everything Titanic. Um, my husband jokes that there's no Titanic documentary that I have not seen um, to this day. And I will still watch um, repeat. And I watch. He's like, haven't you seen this? I'm like, no, there's brand new information. It's true. Um, Unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> so 
this is it's a two it's a duology. So the first book is Titanic: The Long Night, and it's Diane Ho or how H O H I don't know how she pronounces it to be fair. Um, so it's about two women. There's Elizabeth, who is a first class lady, and Katie, who is Irish and is third class. And it's about their experiences on the Titanic. And Elizabeth doesn't want to go back to New York. She fell in love with England, but her parents are like, no, you're going. So they go back on the Titanic. And Katie is in traveling with two brothers that she grew up with to find better lives in America. And it's about them going and trying to, you know, build these new lives. And then, of course, the Titanic hits an iceberg. And it's them trying to survive and living through this experience. And then there's the sequel. Um, Go away, phone call alert. Um, called Remembering the Titanic, about them experiencing life after going through this horrific ordeal and how their lives have completely changed after the long night. That makes sense. But I read it a couple years ago, and I I loved it just as much as when I first read it. I think some of my earliest historical fiction was Anne Rinaldi. Did you guys read Anne Rinaldi? You're looking at me with, like, blank stares. She writes young adult uh, historical fiction about... Pretty much every period of time <laughs> that you could possibly think of. Uh, oh man, they're so good. Um, we have some of them. My personal favorite is The Last Silk Dress, which is about the Civil War, but from the perspective of a um, young girl living in the Confederate South. It's like a junior version of Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she writes about the Revolutionary War, she writes about uh, the Civil War from the north and south um wait 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 are these the books that are like diary of um some of them i think might be diaries but i feel like there was i remember when i was in grade school there was like a big series that was like diary of a oh no these that's not like that these, these are just like standalone it's not a series she just sort of picks different periods of time and writes young adult and it's it's all i mean they're geared towards girls and so mm-hmm. the main characters is you know it sort of goes back to that like strong female character um who is a victim of her circumstance in a lot of situations but oh man i devoured seems to be a things. theme yeah i know <laughs> i devoured those when i was younger pretty much anything by Anne rinaldi it's good stuff um in more grown-up one that i've read uh was the illusionist's apprentice by christy cambron it is set during um the jazz age and it is about um this woman named wren she is an apprentice to harry houdini and is on the vaudeville stage um and she's sort of going under she had to hide her true identity for reasons so she you know is trying to keep her true self uh an identity secret but a rival performers act goes terribly wrong as sometimes happens in all those magic things <laughs> on stage and so there's there's this new um thing in america called the fbi and <laughs> so what a, department yeah so the fbi the newly formed fbi comes to ren to kind of find out what happened and uh it was it was so much fun, and if you like, you know, if you liked the Night Circus or any of that stuff involving magic, uh, I, it was it was good stuff. 
I was thinking of your when I said earlier. I was thinking of the Dear America series oh, from yeah. like the eight to fourteen year old age range. Was like Diary of. I have the Titanic one. When will this cruel war be over? <laughs> Still have it. I thought my soul would rise and fly. The Diary of Patsy, a freed girl. Those Got were it. those those were awesome for middle grades. Speaking of, um, I have two. It's the Arthurian around the Arthurian legend, which is one of I love it so much. I I get like stuck in like black holes on the internet over King Arthur. I believe he lived. There are two minds of people in the world: people who believe Arthur lived and people who don't. Very niche, obviously, but lots of people believe he was a real person because they've been able to find trace amounts of evidence that he did live and Guinevere was real. Maybe not so much that there was a magical man named Merlin and a sword that was stuck in the stone, but I, the Arthurian legend, the Arthurian saga by Mary Stewart, I read this a couple years ago. It's the Crystal Cave, the Hollow Hills, the Last Enchantment, and the Wicked Day. Um, There's a fifth one. The name is escaping me. I didn't end up reading it. It kind of, like, embarks on a new story. It's the Arthurian legend story from Merlin's perspective. Um, He is young in the beginning of the story, and it basically uh, revolves around him coming up and figuring out that he is a seer and he has a gift and then um, stumbling across Arthur Pendragon and knowing that he is someone of importance and, like, guiding him. And I think in a lot of the stories, Merlin is always this kind of, like, omnipotent figure. But this is kind of, like, Merlin was a person who had real thoughts and real fears. He wasn't always this, like, guiding light in author's life. He made mistakes. He was young once, too. Um, And, of course, in the Arthurian saga, the regular characters are there. You know, Arthur, Lancelot, I believe, Guinevere. Guinevere is a side character in that story. Morrigan or Morgaus. She's called different names in several different stories, but it's the same Morgan. Morgaus in the Arthurian saga is this evil presence. She's a lady of the lake. She lures Arthur away with her, like, sexual wiles, and she's evil, and they <laughs> have an incestual relationship, and it's hard and awful, and Merlin doesn't know what to do. And, of course, um, if you didn't know this, they are the parents of Mordred, who he's this, like, Sniveling well, snake. When you name your kid Mordred. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, like, looks like a Mordred, I assume. He's got, like, dark, greasy hair and just, like, sulks all the time. He's like a, so he's like Snape. Yeah, basically yeah. in this. So <laughs> then there's the other Arthurian story that I love, The Mist of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley, in which case it kind of spins it on, it he- on its head where, like, Morgan is not evil and, like, the relationship she has with Arthur is definitely more romantic and filled with love and then like Mordred's not as awful he's almost always awful in any of the stories he never really gets a good reputation but um those books uh Mistress of Magic The High Queen The King's Stag and The Prisoner in the Oak that's mostly Morgan's story and then how she interacts with history and you know the elements are always the same there's the sword in the stone and then there's Guinevere and Arthur. And in some stories, Arthur and Guinevere are this great, long-lasting love. In others, she's a snake that betrays him and falls in love with Lancelot. There's all kinds of different stories. Um, but I love these two in particular, if you are a big fan of the Arthurian legend. Um, I think Merlin always is such a mysterious figure. And in both stories, he's he's got a really awesome perspective. So can't say enough about that. And they're both written by women. <laughs> Andrew, last one. Um, all right, so my last one is well, there's the first lie, which is it was released first, 
but it's like a novella prequel kind of thing. And then there's Necessary Lies, which is the actual novel. So 15-year-old Ivy Hart takes place in the 1960s. So um, 15-year-old Ivy Hart is left to care for her grandmother, her older sister, who has a mental illness, her nephew, and herself, who has epilepsy. So they're all living on this, I believe it's a tobacco farm. It's like tenants. Um, And then Jane Foster is her new social worker. And she quickly becomes emotionally involved in their lives. And so she wants to help and do what's right. But her boss and her husband are like, just write them off. Just do what you need to do. Write the paperwork, check the boxes, and move on with her li- your life. And she's like, I can't do that. I have to help these women. And it's a time and place um, where there are state-mandated sterilizations oh. and racial tension. So she's doing with all this, and it kind of becomes, you know, does she take the drastic time to help them and do what she believes is right? Or does she just write them off and do what's expected of her from everybody? So she's really warring with herself of, do I help this family or do I just write them off like everybody else has done? Spoiler alert. She helps the family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was really good um, because the state-mandated sterilization was a thing. Mm-hmm. So if you were, like, mentally ill or mentally unstable, they would just sterilize you without, you know, your consent. If a social, social, social worker was like, do it, they would do it. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, so it's about how these two women from very different lives kind of come together to help themselves and help each other. But that that's was, a, that was really good. That's, that's, a, that's a also a very heavy way to end. That's okay. We'll have to, we'll leave it there and then we'll come back with all of your other historical fiction books in the future. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming on and talking historical fiction. You are very welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. Stop copying me. Strong ladies. <laughs> Save the world. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.